and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm thrilled you could join us today. If you are new, Alzheimer Speaks is about sound information, not just sound bites. We're here to serve you. So if there's a, a service, a product, a tool, a topic you think we should cover, please reach out to me at radio at alzheimerspeaks.com. And maybe, just maybe, you can be our next guest. Everyone is welcome at all levels. Uh, we don't think we can make sustainable change without that. I would also suggest that you check out our website, alzheimerspeaks.com. There we have one whole section that is just full of free educational resources. You can also check out our book, Betty the Bald Chicken Lessons in How to Care, which isn't necessarily dementia specific. Um, It works for any time. You just don't feel like you fit in. Um, It's written as a children's book with questions in the back. I've had all ages write to us on how powerful the story is and that it should be uh, a book that everybody has in their own home, even in HR departments, libraries, psychologist's office. It's just one of those things that can make you go inward and look at the power of yourself and how you, how you impact others and how others impact you. And you can also visit our public events section in the um, free educational resources. There you'll find information about an upcoming event with Shemuel and Spiro 100. They're doing five different events in June in celebration of Alzheimer's uh, and the longest day. Uh, And then last, I just want to encourage you to also go to uh, Dementia Map. It's a wonderful resource. Um, You'll find events, all kinds of things there. It's free to use. You don't have to give any personal contact. And if you would like to be listed in there, you can reach out to me or just go ahead and sign up. We have both free and paid plans. Now, today we are going to be talking about being valuable, not vulnerable, and how that needs to change in our communities, how we how we view people. And our guest is Jeremy Golden, who is based out of Dublin, uh, but he goes by Jim. So let me go get him. So Jim, I'm really excited to have you with us today. Let's start by having you tell our audience who's Jim, what you're up to, and how'd you get in this space? Sure. Thank you, Laura. Um, and um, yes, I'm Jim Golden, and I live in Dublin in Ireland, and I've lived in Ireland. I'm not Irish, as you could probably tell from my accent. It's a British one. But I've lived um, in Ireland since 2006, so quite a while. And I work, I mean, I have various uh, jobs or vocations. One is I lecture in uh, University College Dublin, which is the second largest university in Dublin. And I lecture on disability and social inclusion, universal design, 
and I also mentor uh, postgrad students on dissertations around topics, often similar topics around disability, aging in place, um, various issues around aging in society, stigma and so on. But I also work as a business uh, consultant analyst, analyzing uh, trends for companies who want to um, do business. Well, I suppose better understand market trends around aging and what that means for their business. And then my last um, uh, job, I suppose, is to work as an analyst and writer. So I do research and interviewing academics and others who are leaders in their field in aging, gerontology, similar kind of topics, uh, cognitive, um, protective behaviours and patterns of life in order to enhance their cognitive well-being. So, sorry, it's a rather long answer to your question. <laughs> well, it's it's a nice variety. Um, you've got, and, and I think that's great because then you have your fingers in a lot of different areas, and I think Ooh, just, for sure, you know, one overlaps with the other all the time. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, let's start with you know asking the question I ask everybody on the show: Have you been personally touched by dementia in your own family or circle of right. friends? Um, I have. Um, my mother-in-law, who who lives in Dublin, um, also not Irish originally, she's uh, Swedish-German, um, and this actually is relevant in that uh, she, she has, um, her name's Anita, and she has quite, a, well, co- her cognitive uh, faculties are, are very compromised and she has many issues uh with with memory and all kinds of things um but also um she i mean physically she's quite strong and fit so it's um a kind of strange and difficult combination for for anybody and for but also my uncle who i was very very he he's died now my uncle dan um, who was a writer, an academic, a big, big figure in my life growing up. Um, he had um, Alzheimer's. And so I kind of saw that at development with Dan from the very beginning, you know, because he was such a, for want of a better term, a switched on, very intellectual man, um, incredibly articulate you know, to a, to an intimidating degree for, for some, <laughs> not to me, because I'd sort of, I just had a good relationship with him from, from, you know, a little child, really. But but then seeing the slippage and then all of us kind of realising, you know, gradually what, what, what this actually meant and then following his path, uh, it, yeah, it, uh, it definitely brought it all home to me in a very uh very very deep way is is it because of him that you had your interest enhanced 
you know, regarding um, cognitive um, issues and protection? Yes, I think so. Yes. I mean, probably not consciously, in a, uh, but unconsciously, I think um, with, with Dan's uh, dementia and his, his cognitive decline and, and all the things that happened, but, but also how it affected his children who again my cousins I'm very very close to I'm still very close to I I think you're right Laurie I think it, it kind of it was something that um of course I was aware of Alzheimer's and uh, my grandfather had it but none of his siblings did Dan had it but my mum his younger sister didn't have it nor did the other two brothers so yeah i i kind of uh thought about it a lot more after that yeah i i think you know you had mentioned about you don't think it was necessarily conscious and i think that really uh, happens in life these yeah. little important things kind of stick in our craw and yeah. make us realize boy you know life needs to be different here or this is what right. i really want and how do I enhance this? I know I had that happen. My my grandma, my great aunt, my mother, you know, it was just little things. And then my work yeah. and the disabilities, my work with seniors kind of all led me to where I am today, you know. And and I never realized that until I had a friend actually say, you know, everybody should look back at their life in five-year segments and write down who was an important person or what was an important event. And when I did that, I was shocked. It was like, well, of course I'm here. This makes total, total, total sense. So yes. that's just an interesting exercise for you know, me. It's a really good exercise, actually. I'm going to make a note of it because, um, and also to 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 get others to, to do that. I think it's very, uh, it's, it, it's really good. I mean, I think, I read, I'm interested, I'm by no means, I'm not a medical person, I'm not a scientist. I mean, I read, I'm very interested in, in the mind and the brain from all points of view. I mean, I don't need to tell you, I mean, you're, you're an expert, but but I, I think the discourse around Alzheimer's um, and the sort of in the news, the media, and Ireland is a good kind of representation of that as a very fast aging society um, and, and all that and so on is that I was kind of, um, I found the alarmist rhetoric about Alzheimer's very difficult to, because there weren't, there was no equivalent illness or disease or pathology where the language that was being used was very kind of extreme and negative really frightening and so I, I think again unconsciously I thought I want to kind of think about that and maybe redirect you know this uh, language that's coming out. I mean, for example, tsunami, a tsunami of Alzheimer's. It's, you know, I mean, leaving aside the kind of tasteless analogy of a health crisis as a tsunami, I just, I felt it was wrong. And 
there was nothing or very little to counter it. So I think that's also part of my mission, if you like, like well, yours. Yeah, well, it's interesting when you said, because um, that's always driven me crazy. And that's one yeah, of the reasons yeah. I stepped in was the the negativity and the fear, yeah. and the helplessness, and then give me your money. You know, it's kind yeah. of a big thing. But what what are you really doing for us? And granted, yeah. everybody wants a cure, but people, I don't care what your circumstances are, if it's dementia, if it's mental health, if it's cancer or some yeah. other chronic illness, you need a plan. You know, when there's a tsunami, when there's a you know natural disaster, there's a plan of where to go, oh. what to do. And yeah. those steps are are missing. And yeah. And people can say, well, you know, you go to the doctor and I'm like, yeah, but you go to the doctor and there's nothing there. You know, you get a pill and a prescription and maybe, maybe the Alzheimer's Association or the Alzheimer's Society yeah. or the Alzheimer's Foundation, maybe. And then you're on your own really for a year to try to yeah. figure this out. And, and I know as a family member, we didn't even know of the Alzheimer's Association. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we didn't know what to even look for so yeah we've got a long long ways to go and yeah yeah no that's right because a lot of um i mean there are some good things coming out of ireland there mm -hmm. have been changed i mean for example there was a a big and very successful public health campaign on um alzheimer's on television and so on um which a lot of people still watch you know regular tvs um and called understand together and it was very short camp sort of very uh humane and in, sort of an empathic campaign and i think it made a big uh change to removing stigma and fear um so so that's a good thing but but then there's the as you say laurie the kind of the practical elements of helping carers as well as um people that in early stage dementia and it it's that like i said i mean within ireland i think ireland is is pretty typical of what's going on in europe there's the the kind of there's a lot of rhetoric mm -hmm. about it we need to do something and there's statements from the medical professions and from all kinds of places, and it's reported on. But then, and conferences, endless conferences. But but I, and I, I kind of feel also some of the changes that could be done, or the improvements uh, to start put in place for this. Um, could actually start straight away, but it's all they're thinking always in this very big cataclysmic way, <laughs> and it's actually uh, you know let's start this on on a local level and see what we can do and uh, what's worked in other countries, who can we learn from, and and on and on and on. And uh, as I said, I have seen some definite signs that give me cause uh, sort of grounds for optimism in a low-key way um but it's um they're not really planning for this in a in a centralized way lots of channels nothing to watch especially if you're searching for the truth 
It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel. Straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire. Become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio. I agree. One of my biggest frustrations, and again, my mom's been gone since 2014, but she lived with the disease for 30 years. And upon autopsy, um, just for clarification, because some people go, there's no way she lived that long. But upon autopsy, she had Alzheimer's, Lewy body, and some Parkinson's. All, you know, lucky her, she got the trifecta. And um, though we didn't see the signs so much of the Louis body or the um, the Parkinson's yeah. um, with her, but the neurologist said he had never seen a brain so atrophied in his life. And, you know, he, he's been doing this since the seventies. <laughs> and and uh, anyways, what I wanted to say was, you know, we were really lost at that time. And one yeah. thing that I always wanted was like a resource directory. It's like, why isn't there a resource directory? So to try to combat what you're talking about, uh, Dave Friedrich, who has the Memory Cafe directory, and I created Dementia Map, which is a free resource for anybody to um, participate in. So anybody around the world, we have like 150 categories, we'll make more, we, we want to work collaboratively. Uh, there's also paid plans if people you know, want more exposure, but it's a really easy way for people to access and we want you know, we want to bring in the divide of the profit, nonprofit and government agencies, because they all kind of stand as their own pillars, which the general public doesn't know, and say, just join us, just let's make it easy for people to find you. And what I've found um, so far is we have more small to mid-sized businesses, because the big guys still think that they have it all. And people are finding them, but they're not hearing what I'm hearing. What you're hearing, what what we're seeing is that it's too complicated, it's too difficult, yeah. and it doesn't have to be. It can be really, really simple. And all Dementia Map is is really a, a spot where people can get direction, they can learn of terms that they've never heard of before. Yeah. Um, but it's all about simplifying and meeting the end user's needs, getting yeah. the numbers out of the way, getting all that stuff and our preconceived ideas, but actually listening to what people are saying. And I think that's where things are missing the mark. Um, here in in um, the US, I mean, they have put, I, I bet it's millions of dollars into a campaign. And I, I won't mention names, but um, to get a medication approved that was rejected. And it, it is just obscene at how things are being manipulated when people step down from our FDA because of ethics, saying this is not a safe product, this doesn't meet our standards. And they're still pushing, pushing, pushing it through. Now, you know, there's stuff coming out that, you know, somebody 
received money for that. And it's like, well, of course that's happening. I mean, that's the way big business works on a lot of levels. And, and it's just, it's really sad because I just think, gosh, if they would just take even a portion of those funds, really listen, really listen, and then simplify things. And sometimes that means even with our technology, not always following the lead of the techie guys who want the biggest and brightest and fastest, shiniest moving part there is, because that's what's leading in the industry, but really look at what does your end user want? And is that going to help them? Or is it going to complicate their process and make them more frustrating? And and I, it, 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 it just blows me away that, that that isn't, really seen or heard or appreciated, you know, and move forward with is, is do you feel that way too? I, it just drives me crazy. Yeah. I mean, you know, so I was saying, Laurie, I think with, with, with the situation in Ireland, it's probably very similar in the UK. I spend a lot of time in the UK as well. I have a lot of family here and so on. I, I do feel that I mean, leaving aside the whole sort of medical pharma side of it, I I do think that they're obs- the so experts in the gerontology, um, Alzheimer's field, and the whole kind of supporting infrastructures for it. It it's still very big. It's very much focused on big targets, big ambitions, which is okay as far as that goes um but as i said i i think and you we agree i mean there is a lot if if you've got a budget of billions or huge budgets um for dementia planning of different kinds you know if you could allocate you know think small and small change and what that could be and and use some of that funding in that way, uh, I think I think could be, you know, exceptional. I mean, to give you an example, like um, in uh, I I'm a, I know that many um, many many people in early stage or even in mid stage later of dementia, you know, they they very much want to stay within their community do local things do things they like going for coffee you know maybe going to a their the shopping mall with their grandchild and 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 um hanging around the shops and all those kind just doing regular stuff uh and you know so how how can they get retailers to be dementia aware you know what what does that look like or or another example the um um, the hospitality or the hotel industry you know it are they um ways that they can train staff uh to kind of deal with people who have memory issues as well as maybe helping orientation within the hotel or the the whatever the 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 kind of premises is all that 
yeah, th those things are not that complicated really to do. And, um, but, but uh, they're not really thinking about that. They're, they're kind of thinking about our clinics and, you know, big, yeah, just, just quite a medicalized uh, mm -hmm. mindset, I suppose. And yet, even with the medical mindset, the hospitals and the clinics aren't trained. No, you know, their, their no. own staff isn't even trained. And we expect that as a consumer, we expect them to understand and, and know what it is we need. And, you know, it's, I mean, it's amazing. Um, I know when I, when I first, you know, started getting into this, I, I listed out four dementia friendly categories. One was businesses, you know, with an increased contact, like the, like the medical conditions, the, the yeah. doctors, the nurses, the pharmacists, yeah. the clergy, even financial planners and senior housing. But then there were the businesses of everyday life you know, the grocery stores, the bakeries, the coffee shops, the gas yeah. stations, yeah. the banks. Mm -hmm. And then I had um, the category of, of businesses of power. So the legislature, the, the media, the clergy, yeah. um, county workers, city workers. And then it was, the fourth category was comfort and entertainment and balance. You yeah. know, the beauty salons, the fitness yeah. centers, the hotels, uh, the, the parks and recs. Um, so much of that, I mean, it just kind of blows me away that this isn't incorporated. You know, I've always yeah. said what's good for dementia is good for the world, because bottom line, it's about respect. It, it's about respect. It, it, it's about respect and inclusion. And, you know, I think our world has just, it's sad to say, but we've lost, we've lost respect for one another. Yeah. It, it's mm -hmm. all about just me and you know my behaviors don't affect anyone else well yeah they do yeah, yeah they do. no they do and and also um i i totally agree and I, but but also empathy and uh imagination you know it's like i mean ireland is a, a people in ireland are generally very good to each other you know it, it's uh a very kind of relate relational society in it in and they greet each other they greet strangers of bus stops how you doing was uh, so i i think there is there is all that but but then there is a kind of as as you and i know well this lack of awareness of um the condition or the i mean to the the thing that I see so much of are, are again it, it's kind of symptomatic of what we're saying that just because someone is losing their memory let's say you know they still want to go shopping and they want to pick up they want to do their groceries and choose the food that they're going to have and but but then they get to the till the cash till I mean they have a choice mm -hmm. they can either scan the stuff or you know on the sort of the automated thing. I, I don't know quite a, how it works in the US. Um, that's become very popular, but more, they're not going to go there. They don't know what's going on. And then, so these older, quite maybe vulnerable people then queue up at the cash till. Uh, and people are friendly. Do you want to go ahead? Please go. But then they get there and then there's 
you know they're often trying to find things they're confusing which card they're supposed to show they get very anxious then they try to produce cash but they haven't really got any just a few coins go back to the car and and the thing is that the 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 staff in the supermarket they just think it's a bit of a confused they they have no real understanding awareness of what's going on yep and they are generally kind in ireland it's not that they're bit, but that's a good thing you know but but they don't know the rest of it like what is cognitive loss you know what is how do i deal with this should i actually maybe take their wallet and try and help you know there's a lot of things going on there that's just one example of everyday life yeah and money is very confusing very it's very confusing yeah yeah it's a whole educational thing that could happen without you know it's not about building clinics or getting it, it's about as as you say Larry, the the everyday life interactions and transactions how can we educate how can we um it's uh, there's just so many things that could be done well and it it gets down to to uh, like one of the things that that bugs me is Give, giving somebody eye contact versus talking to the care partner, you know, including them in the conversation, even yeah. if you can't answer. I mean, that's just a respectful thing. And maybe they'll just smile and, or not respond at all, and, but at least yeah. you're trying because at a, on a human kind of soul level, they know they're part of sure. and instead of they don't exist. I mean, I've had, I had one care partner tell me he was so upset with a financial planner he used for many, 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 many years. Yeah. He he just fired him. He's like, my wife is sitting right here. Yeah, absolutely. And you you didn't say hello. No. You haven't given her any eye contact. You haven't included her in the conversation. No. She is part of my life, and this is half her money. Yeah. And if you can't get that basic respect out. Yeah. I don't want to work with you. And and the guy was shocked, absolutely shocked. But it's yeah. it's those things that I mean yeah, that affect you get that conversation ever, I would imagine. Yeah, but it's it's those little things that affect us on a heart level, you know, that trigger a feeling of of, of you know, either joy or sadness of being included or not. Yeah. And and we all that doesn't get lost when you have dementia. No, no, it doesn't. I mean I mean, I've seen it's probably a very ambitious or expensive program. I personally don't think it's expensive in terms of ultimately, you know, what it will save in inverted commas, you know, but uh, from a from a financial point of view. But I, I did in my sort of academic role, Laurie, I did um, a, a, a qualitative study of a, an innovation in dementia care in a city in the south of Ireland, not Dublin, but uh, Tipperary. And it was very interesting because they have a um, what's called a dementia support worker. And in essence, the dementia support worker will take that person into the community for an hour or two a week. And so it's a bit different from say um alzheimer's um 
Ireland or some other more large NGO, not that those aren't important, but they're much more task orientated. You know, it's about dressing and, and cooking and I mean, those things. But the dementia support worker that uh, is part of this innovation project in Tipperary, that they're, they're very different from anything else I've seen because they will um, build a bond, as you say, you know, with with that person that's often often marginalised, and basically ask them what do you want to do, you know, and maybe they'll go for a walk in the if they're in the if they're in a farm, uh, they might walk around the farm or the, but more often than not they go into the community and they say, well, I want to go to my favourite coffee shop, I want to go to the community centre, I want to. Um, uh, you know, go to the choir or listen to the choir or and all that. So it's been enormously successful. And what's so interesting about it is, and it's not just anecdotal, it's um, been studied that it gives huge self-esteem and self kind of uh, affirmation to that person. And gives them optimism and and all those great things, but also it delays uh, substantially institu- institutionalization at a later stage. You know the difference between having the dementia support worker or not means that uh, they're much less likely to decline uh, as far. So so there is a kind of. Um, and they give their carer respite. I was going to say, yeah. Every week they know that the dementia support worker has been trained. Uh, I mean, they have high-level nursing qualifications, but they've also been trained in dementia support, obviously. Um, and so the the carer gets respite. The, the individual that has dementia goes into their community or you know sometimes they'll look at a photo album for an hour or or both look at a photo album go and have coffee and it's hugely beneficial it goes without saying so um i'd love to see more of those (laughs) oh my gosh i mean that's relationship based it's inclusive it's and like you said that whole respite care is massively massively huge i mean how could that not build your confidence when you're isolated typically to have a friend i I think that's why my mom lived as long as she did you know she, she lived 14 years in a nursing home but staff were her friends Right. I mean, that's how she looked at him. We went, I went for a walk with my friends and, you know, she was, she was happy. You know, it was really the last three years that were most difficult, I think, for her, you know, in her decline where yeah. her, her communication and her mobility, you know, really, um, really limited things significantly. Yeah. But what a difference that makes, you know, to, to feel part of, yeah. you know, yeah. Uh, I mean, there might be, I don't know if, I mean, it's a big responsibility for, but I I wonder sometimes whether there might be scope. I mean, you know, it, it's complicated because of things like liability, and but whether there would be a way for more kind of partnering up of young, sort of younger people with um, even just, just one 
friend with dementia that they could do something similar with. I mean, similar to and go go out and about in the community. Yeah, um, I know. There's like kids, ki- kid caregivers. Um, yeah. Haley Richmond has, and you know, they kind of go to people it, typically in communities. But you know, we we don't really encourage no. um, that community aspect. It's like, what sport are you in? You know, it's it's those types of things. Yeah. It really isn't about helping anyone else. Um, anyways, that's how I see it mostly here in yeah. the US. And, yeah. and I think we're really, really missing the boat. And I, it saddens me that we've gotten to be a society that is more worried about getting sued than helping somebody. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I think in Ireland, it's somewhere in the middle. You know, I think it, it is quite a you know, people live quite siloed lives in some ways. But but as I was saying, Laurie, I st- I think the the nature of Irish kind of culture and society is inclusive. It's it's re- it's very relational. Um, and you know, I, I saw a big difference. Say when I moved from London to Dublin, and Dublin's a big city. I mean, it's not like some tiny little town. But but immediately, you know, people, everyone looks at uh, what you were saying before, you know, they'll look at you in the eye and 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 when they're speaking, whether it's a taxi driver, you look at the driver, you know, there's a and and also that you try and find common ground, I suppose, uh, even if it's for 10 minutes, uh, you, you're not going to sit in silence. Just I mean, of course, that happens. You're on your phone and you're busy doing whatever texting or watching TikTok. But but I mean, but but still I think there is um that relational aspect. So that that makes me more optimistic about the kind of um you know programs uh, and and ways that um initiatives to to kind of support people with dementia and different but 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 ultimately it will fall on the carer it's usually a member of the family it's usually if not a spouse it will be a, a woman typically not a man you know like a sister and aunt and uh, a, a cousin um I, you know, the men get more of a free pass on this kind of stuff. Yeah, we, we've seen that change a little bit here in the U.S. We're seeing yeah. some of those numbers rise. Well, hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform. I want to um, talk to you about music because I know you have some definite beliefs about music and, and cognition. So why don't you share a little bit about that with us? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, I, um, I've always been crazy about music since I was, you know, tiny. It's my earliest memory is probably listening to one of those old gramophone 
<laughs> players with the you know and, and watching my dad put the needle on for me and all that and um my family are all very into music and i play not very well a musical instrument i um I did, I noticed, um, again, it was an unconscious thing, I suppose, that I took up music, I suppose, more seriously in inverted commas in my 50s, you know, like piano. And um, because my uh, stepdaughter who I was bringing up is very, very talented, you know, listening to her play piano. And I thought, you know, I want to do that. <laughs> so, But I was in my 50s, she was an early teen and I did I went to the same teacher that she did to Lindsay and got very into playing and and, and practicing every year uh every every evening but but I did notice that how what a huge improvement it made in my concentration levels in other areas of my life you know things where I was getting a bit sort of um I don't know, a certain slippage, I suppose, where um, in all different contexts. And then after I played, even for 15 minutes, because I was busy, uh, what a difference it made to my concentration uh, and my sort of awareness of, of things. So, yeah, and through that, I, I kind of read up and... Um, through my own um, interest in cognitive resilience, I've been very struck at how powerful music is, not just to learn to play or to be a student of music, it, but just really listening to me, choosing music that you really want to, to hear. And um, ideally not as only as background while you're but but somehow listening in a more involved way has huge benefits it's been shown time and time again um not only in terms of mood and well-being but actually as uh providing um some sort of resilience to um all kinds of i mean uh providing uh, enhancing your brain's ability to uh, function, helping memory, helping language, the, how you speak. I mean, all this has been shown through brain scans of regular music listeners. I actually, I wrote a little piece. I didn't do the research, of course, but um, it's a, a brilliant uh, neuroscientist in the US, actually, uh, called Luisa Speranza. Uh, she basically summarized a very academic piece and made it more accessible to to non-specialists. And I I put this on LinkedIn because I post a lot of these articles on LinkedIn. And literally there were thousands and thousands of reads and lots of um, very moving comments by uh by people who were saying, you know, when I had this happen to me and by listening to music, I felt, especially when I was rehabilitating, you know, what a huge difference it made to me. Uh, and they were saying, I'd always suspected that music was the difference, but until I read this article, I didn't realise 
that it was kind of uh, proven. So I do, um, yeah, I think music is 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 a huge thing um, for for uh, people to 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 bring into their lives or to to do more of it. Um, you know, sure. I I have a, a colleague um, and friend, Patty Carlson, who has the Alzheimer's Research Project going. You can just go to alzheimersresearchproject.com. But she has this numeric language of music program that is incredible. Right. And the difference that, that um, this program is making in people's lives is exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. After they're done playing, and she has just, uh, she talks about... Um, music, um, language, um, numbers, and, you know, building relationships. Yeah. And the outcomes have been phenomenal. And anybody can play, even somebody more in their end stages can have their fingers put on the piano and their fingers pushed yeah. down. And they're yeah. seeing even results with that. Yeah, um, it's, it's, yeah. it's pretty phenomenal. But kids with ADHD, um, people having difficult time with, with memory or studying. I mean, it just, it's, it's unbelievable. And it, she's like, I don't know what it is. She's like, it doesn't really make sense, but right. she's like the stories right. we're hearing are, uh, they're just incredible. Yeah. And yeah. so people can join the study and get the information of how to do this um, yeah. for free. You know, it's, yeah. yeah. So it yeah. might be something that you'd be interested in, in checking oh, yeah. out. Yeah, no, I would, uh, of course, I would definitely check that out. I mean, I, I, um, I'm so interested in the, you know, the, the music has that capacity to um, kind of provide emotional uplift and comfort and fun and movement and all that. But, but yeah, there's this other aspect to it, which is the sort of our, uh, functioning active brain things like you know that there's a lot of crossover with language but what's so interesting is um you you don't you, the, you could be quite passive and yet there's something about engagement with it that provides a kind of protection a protective quality which which is which is so interesting. I mean, I read an article today, which um, which is actually not about music. I'm sure you know about this, but it was published um, in March this year, um, in in a big journal. Sorry, it's gone out of my head, but I'll post it on your website. But but uh, the point being is that this is about uh, having a sense of purpose in in life uh, as you get older. That, you know what again that it provides a huge it's shown to provide uh not just protection but to actually enhance the connections in your brain you know i i wrote a, a note here it's called the a dorsal default mode network ddmn so basically uh, a sense of purpose provides greater interconnectivity and functional connectivity. And and the thing about a sense of purpose, which can sound quite grand and, you know, like a sense of purpose, like some career purpose, 
it's not that at all it, it, it's a well it can be that uh, it can be to do with work purpose uh, for sure and wanting but it can be things like um i know what i want to do and i do it you know or i have a plan for the coming weeks and i'm going to do uh, i'm going to do them in order or something uh, uh, it can be about um all kinds of things so it it's the difference between a drift drifting or feeling like i've done everything i can do i i've had a you know i this, i've pushed myself enough i don't want to you know i just want to do this i, I don't want to get involved and stuff which is a lack of purpose maybe understandably but it's still lack of purpose versus you know what i want to spend 10 minutes a day doing a language i'm not good at learning languages but i'm going to commit to it and 10 15 minutes um it's that sense of purpose um that has is hugely beneficial uh not least for delaying potentially delaying the onset of alzheimer's well and i would think the sense of purpose of feeling like you can help somebody else or you know you're in that relationship you know if it's yeah. if it's a small child or you know if it's someone your age doesn't make any difference but no. that you're needed you know that you have value i think makes it makes a huge huge difference as well um, well, I want to just take a, a break here really quick. And if you're just tuning in, we are talking with Jem Golden, who is over in Dublin. And it, this has been a fascinating conversation so far about being valued and not, not being vulnerable and, and you know, looking, looking at how do we reduce stigmas? How do we engage people? How do we get relationship-based? Um, and it's been fascinating. So you might want to rewind and, and uh, go back and listen more. You can always reach out to, to Jem at jeremy.golden at U-C-D-I-E. Um, or you can find him on his LinkedIn page as well. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurpose on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio. Now, Jim, I want to you know ask you about another priority for you is, is, you know, about stigma and negative images. And we've talked yeah. about some of that, but do you want to talk about stereotypes that are yeah. out there right now? And yeah. how, how do you think we move forward with trying yeah. to crush those down? Yeah, no, it's something that preoccupies me a lot. Um, and um, I think it's, you know, something also in my upbringing, in a positive way, mm -hmm. you know, that my parents were, you know, when we visited our very elderly relatives, when I was a very, very small child, or my, or, um, it was all part of life, you know, and it wasn't a question of whether how, you, you know, whether um, you, uh, it, you had to 
we were taught to value them uh, always and be very respectful and polite and interested and even or not even i mean in particular if they were struggling with words or the repeating themselves or it, it didn't make any difference just the way my parents conducted themselves this incredible sort of gentleness and um kind of just really trying to uh, listen and respond. So that's really uh, stuck with me. And I'm as I'm aging, my friends in their 60s, early 60s and stuff, um, I, it's less about us, actually, or what we're experiencing. I think it's more a kind of, um, as I said, the discourse in media um is 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 negative is very negative it's all about health crises or um you know and of course with the whole covid thing we won't go into all that but but i think it was it kind of ex it brought it all back to the fore this idea of vulnerable rather than valuable and it really it really uh, i find it very upsetting and because that wasn't the way i was brought up to about oh they're so fragile they're so valued they're so they could fall I mean it that wasn't really it was like no we're going over to have a nice conversation yeah <laughs> and you help them through the process I mean oh, you know, the process, or yeah. what, whatever it is yeah, yeah. I, that's how I was raised too yeah exactly so uh, I it's just part of my kind of mindset um but then how do you address these things um in uh society and and make people make it's difficult i think i think we live in very in a busy lives siloed lives i think the particularly the way um i mean these are huge generalizations of course but but i think the way that um say younger people uh, are um that the, their priorities it's about self projection and it's about having a good time and being your set authentic self and all that i actually connecting with multiple generations it i mean it maybe on a case by case basis let's visit grandmother but but you know she's lovely she wants to see but i think in a wider connecting way like listen to older people value them you know don't obsess about frailty listen to what they have done and all that kind of thing that is so missing in i i i i would take it even one step further and I, I would say that for a parent or for someone talking to a younger person, they would think that by saying that, they're almost um, imposing some kind of burden or hassle. Like, I'm really sorry to say this, or I hope you don't mind me saying, but I think, you know, it's important to, you know, if you see an older person struggling on the street or, as our neighbor who's you know you know maybe you should offer to shop with them i think they see that as oh no no i mustn't you know that it's kind of 
that's such to my mind that's base level base mm -hmm. level human concern but i think from society's point of view it's like no they're young we mustn't you know, we they that that's it's an imposition it's ridiculous but so it starts from that level well, and, and I remember growing up, I mean, we would shovel the neighbor's snow, cut yeah, the grass, check yeah, in, bring yeah. a meal. Yeah. And it wasn't a burden. It was just something we did, you know, yeah. and and we got to know our neighbors. Now, yeah. nobody knows their neighbors. Everybody's it's scared of their neighbors. Yeah. And, yeah. and you had talked about, you know, with the young kids being their authentic selves. And, and yeah. I think sometimes... They don't know who their authentic self uh, is. So they're trying to be what they think they're supposed to be. Yeah. And, you know, on social media, they're projecting this perfect life. Even when their life's a mess, they've got a smile on their face and seeing how great everything is. And, you know, that creates all these mental health issues that we're having. And on the news last night, it was interesting. They just said um, there's a turn where a lot of the younger generation is getting away from the smartphones. They're going back to the flip phones yeah. as they're seeing. And, and I wasn't quite sure how this works, but I guess, I guess a flip phone doesn't have all the internet stuff on it, but mm -hmm. um, they said they are seeing the harm that it's doing to their mental yeah. health yeah. because everyone is so judgmental and people don't hold back. They just say, mean nasty things just to say yeah yeah and, and also i think the um yeah i mean i if, if we're talking about say stigma i i mean my kind of feeling about younger people actually is they are quite open to this but but it's more about the the siloed nature and the sort of yeah the, the kind of the 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 focus to be individual and ambitious i mean those are not necessarily negative things but 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 you also have to look at why society and but but also i think when they hear the like we were saying early on in this conversation laurie about aging society tsunami of need of uh, and on and on i i think it, it it's all really it kind of brings in a negative uh, reinforcement, I suppose. So there's all that stigma, but but then there's the react. You know, going back to this thing I said a few minutes ago about a sense of purpose. For a lot of older people, they want to continue to to work in some shape or form, not necessarily a full time position, but to to be working, earning some, a bit of extra cash. But it's employers are hugely um resistant to this in the uk and ireland i think it's an issue across western europe mm -hmm. uh, where you know they even if you don't say exactly on your cv how old you are but you kind of uh you know you talk about your experience and they kind of work it work down they go wow this person is 58 but you know we can't be hiring somebody you know yeah. Uh, no, forget it. Forget you can be a Walmart Walmart greeter, you know, <laughs> or a food taster, you know, one of those people in the store. Yeah. yeah, no, there's so there's there's a massive uh discrimination in employment. Um I mean there are a few areas probably uh where I mean a few sectors I should say where 
being older is maybe at least not a huge disadvantage, but they're very few where, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's all this lip service paid about d- uh, diversity. Again, it's one of those words that everyone chucks out because they feel they are, we're diverse. We welcome candidates across the spec, you know, the usual. Uh, it's it's simply not true. And none of it, you know, they are, um, it's incredibly difficult for a, uh, for, for older people. Uh, and uh, I mean, this is all separate conversation about this, but disabled people of, of any age. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, I mean, the discrimination in work is is really uh difficult so yeah i mean it's a it's definitely uh it's a it's a big task you know well and you look at i mean just even families people who are diagnosed they don't want to tell their employer they have a diagnosis because they're worried about losing their job you know even though things could probably be adapted and and stuff to do that um and care partners don't want to say anything either because they're afraid they're going to lose their job because you know they're caring for someone else and then when you were talking about families kind of protecting their kids from you know being part of aging really is what they're doing you know they're they're denying them that well what i have found um in talking with the schools is the kids know what's going on the kids want to help But instead, they're said, oh, we've got it handled. But they know mom and dad are going crazy being the care care partners. They know that they've gone kind of down a few rungs on the ladder in terms of priority. They're feeling all these shifts, and yet no one's talking about it. And then, you know, all these kind of bubbles of of anger and frustration. And, you know, kids feel left out. And my gosh, they're so full of energy. And they have such great ideas. And they want to help. And we're going, no, you can't. And we don't even know we're doing it. You know, yeah, yeah, no, that that's uh yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean that that's another whole area where um say if we're talking about specifically around dementia care of maybe one of the parents or their the young person's grandparents is living at home or close by and um, you know, is is how to, you know, help help educate the family and the parents and to involve the children how can you do this yeah because it's a it's a societal need and it's a societal responsibility and now all of a sudden caregivers you know or care partners carers whatever you want to name them are taking it on themselves and which is self-isolating well it is yeah and so it's not good on any level no. You know, to do that because it, it's just it's too much. And we all need help and support yes. and little ways people can step in. And I know like when I was caring for my folks, you know, my brother said yes. you know, they didn't come around because I I was a control freak. And I'm like, no, I'm organized, you know, <laughs> and, and I didn't I didn't see how controlling I was. I wanted the best care and I knew they'd do it different. Yes. And and not up to necessarily my standards. Yeah. And it, it took me um, years before we had this conversation <clears throat> to realize that everybody has a place and everybody has a role to play. Yeah. And 
you know, it's the old saying is, um, you know, di- diversity is great in our lives. I mean, if, if everybody was yeah. a clone of us, that wouldn't be a good thing. And as long as they're not going to harm somebody, let them in to help. And don't think you are less than in, in terms yeah. of, of, yeah. of uh, you know, accepting that help. No, but- absolutely. Yeah. Because I, I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, I mean, I did. I was talking a, a bit earlier about, um, say my uncle and you know I think what happened there was 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 good I mean the children were very involved but also the uh, you know the nieces and nephews like me we'd all grown up with with him and you know it was a pretty open house mm-hmm. you know so even when my uncle was in the end sitting on the sofa lost in a a fog. I mean, he was barely speaking, if at all. And you know, the 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 it the the man that we knew had had really it was dimming, you know. But but you know, it was actually we were all talking, and sometimes he'd hear us and pick pick up on stuff and make a funny remark. So he was. It was the fact that, as you said, that we were all coming in and. On, you know, it was an open house rather than something very taboo and oh, uh, it's kind of hiding him from the world. It, it was quite the opposite. Yeah, it is. It's it's amazing when you sit back and really think how much things have changed and right. yeah. and and how yeah. unhealthy they've gotten for everybody. Yeah. In this. Yeah. Um, Gosh, I can't believe it. we've been talking, you know, over an hour already. Do you still have time to keep going? Uh, uh, I've definitely got five minutes. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so in wrapping up, let's, let's just talk, you know, I, I want you, your slogan, valuable, not vulnerable. Yeah. Um, if you can just summarize that up really quickly. Yeah, no, I, I will. Uh, thank you, Larry. I mean, um, that was a slogan that, um, was done in Manchester which is a very progressive city in the north of England um Manchester City actually is probably in the news a lot in football because they've just won the double um yeah I mean Manchester they have very progressive mayor it's sort of a little bit like a city state in a way because they do things differently from the a very centralized approach uh they have a a very uh um, sort of uh, uh, their mayor, Andy Burnham, is very inspirational, and they but they also have a an incredibly interesting uh, age friendly city pol- kind of uh, projects of all kinds going on from uh, empathic environments to help older people navigate themselves around the city to. Um, as you said, dementia cafes and and just incredible things going on. But but they sort of felt, yeah, but we still need to um, actually create uh, a better understanding and empathy uh, among the wider population. So they put up a lot of posters in, uh, in they had a public campaign saying valuable, not vulnerable, and they showed... Uh, Mancunians, people born in Manchester, living in Manchester, 
older people who are doing in working in fashion, getting PhDs, doing boxing in the gym, both both uh, boxing as uh, students of boxing, but also traders of boxing in their eighty and. Uh, and on and on and on. So, and it was hugely successful. So I've kind of taken this away myself, and I've I've sort of said to you know, particularly when I'm talking to my students about things, and I I'll say you know, think about valuable, not vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, think or, or put in uppermost in your minds, please of the concept of the value of an older person, their experience, their um, the, their advice, their, uh, you know, so many things. Don't think about, it's good if you also think and look out for potential frailties, you know, if you're worried about them falling, that's a good thing. But But don't think of that first, think of the valuable aspect. And yeah, it's just something I really want to put across. Yeah. And and last, I just want to cover, you know, you do a lot of lecturing on, on disabilities and social inclusion. Right. You know, how, I mean, I guess I can see real easily how that relates to aging, but if you yeah. just want to sum that up for our audience. Yeah, no, thank you. I mean, I think um, it's important for... The, the 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 aspect of getting older and people who have disabilities who've had lifelong disabilities are very different things and again it, it kind of dovetails to what we were just talking about there is that element of the wider society thinking about all aging as a disability or acquiring a disability the sort of inevitability of that, which is simply not true i mean my um cousins my mother's cousin's wife ella who spent the last month in london and visit who i uh, again love and adore and respect she's nearly 90 you know she has no disability <laughs> And she's very impressive and, and just an amazing person, you know. But but I have people in my family who've had disabilities, physical and men, sort of mental, cognitive from a young age. They're very different thing. And um, so I do. When again, when I lecture or give talks in different places about. I, I do separate the, the two out, but, and, and also um, uh, w- what I found, I talked to an academic who wrote a book about this in Ireland uh, called Anne Leahy. I can, I'll send a link to your listeners if they're interested about her book, uh, which is, you know, very original piece of work. I mean, she said it was very moving where um, the, people that she interviewed who aged with a disability where it was quite the disability they felt the stigma Mm -hmm. and the difficulty of participating when they get got older in some ways uh they got more sympathy and empathy because it was like that was people's expectation of what an older person is which is kind of strange in, in some ways but 
um, they felt less isolated. But but it's I guess it's Laurie, it's part of this nuance conversation that uh, and uh, to to the wider world that of of trying to put out there that you know please be open minded about what aging is. It's not necessary disability and decline. It could be other things, good things, challenging things, but but be quite open-minded about it is what is what I try to tell people. Well, and I think no matter what age you are, you know, there's growth that can happen. It might look right. different ways, but instead people are looking at this, they're, they're projecting that there's going to be this automatic decline. And there, right. there might be in some areas, but that there doesn't might. mean in all, yeah. all areas. So, well, what a fantastic conversation this has been. Thank you so yeah. much, Jim, for joining us today. In yeah. wrapping up, I just want to let people know you can reach out to Jem, uh, and that's J-E-M Golden or Jeremy Golden at on his uh, LinkedIn page, or you can go to Jeremy golden at ucd um, dot ie and i want to ask our listeners to please share this episode um, with your friends your colleagues your family your followers you know all of us can help spread the word and you know by just sharing resources products and tools that can help others and be a giver of hope it takes yeah. seconds to do that, but this is a, a really important conversation. This is a shift that needs to be made. Yeah. This is something that needs to be consciously thought about and in order for people to, to really make some changes. So uh, please join us in our cause and uh, help spread the word. Thank you so much uh, again for joining us, Jim. And I want to thank our audience for listening. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show. We are the North Star that guides you through the complicated journey of senior care with trusted experts in money, law, living solutions, and more. So join us on this station, your favorite podcast channel, or just go to AnswersForElders.com. Meet the Wayshowers who will help your journey a lot easier.